0: Welcome to the Just Pod, a podcast by the Criminal Justice Section of the ABA, the Unified Voice of Criminal Justice. Welcome to this episode of the Just Pod. Today we have Malia Brink, Assistant Counsel for Public Defense for the ABA's Standing Committee on Legal Aid and Indigent Defendants. Malia, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, today, Malia is joining us for a discussion on fees and fines in the criminal justice system. Malia has been part of the American Bar Association's working group on building public trust which developed 10 guidelines to instruct court actors about how to ensure that any fines and fees imposed or collected do not punish people disproportionately for their poverty. So, Malia, let's begin by talking about fees and fines and the criminal justice system. What are some examples of fines and fees and what this working group
1: meant by them? Sure. So just to use an example that everyone can understand, when you get a traffic ticket, that traffic ticket may be for example like $100 but oftentimes that's the fine the $100 is the fine that's the amount that you're paying for having violated whatever traffic provision you violated oftentimes on top of that states add fees for different services so for example in California a $100 traffic ticket comes with fees for things like court construction and court operations and EMS services and DNA services. And in the end, that $100 ticket, which is the fine, costs you $490. And that additional $390 are fees. So that's one example that everyone can understand. In addition, there are all sorts of fees that come with the criminal justice process. So for example, if you were charged with a crime and you're not held in jail, you're released pre-trial. Oftentimes there are fees related to pretrial services. So you may have a monitoring fee that's like $25 a month. And if you, your case takes six months to resolve, you'll have paid $150 in monitoring fees, even if you're eventually found not guilty. Other things that people get charged for during that process are things like drug testing or GPS monitoring or interlock devices, right? But those are all fees attendant to the criminal justice system.
0: So what is happening when people can't pay the fees
1: and fines? So what is happening often is that you incur other fines or fees on top of it for your inability to pay. Just go back to that California traffic ticket, right? If you can't pay that $490 by the time you're supposed to, you get assessed additional late penalties and charges that will bring that $490 up to $815. So that's often what happens. Or it's sent to collections, which will then add a collections fee to it. In addition, there are other very common punishments, such as your driver's license being suspended. In many states, they suspend driver's license for non-payment of fines and fees.
0: That's obviously problematic for people who are not of means. I imagine there's a socioeconomic disparity that we're seeing in the criminal justice system. Can you help us understand better the, the implications of that?
1: Sure. So as you would expect, right, a rich person who gets that $490 ticket pays it on time and has no problem. For a poor person who cannot pay it timely, you can get trapped in this kind of endless cycle of increasing criminal justice debt. So for example, you may have that unpaid ticket, they'll suspend your driver's license, but you have to drive in order to work. So you continue to drive despite the suspension. And then maybe you get caught or you get another ticket. Those are then sent to collections. Just to use an example, in Miami-Dade County, there's something like 30% of the adult population now that has suspended driver's licenses uh, for unpaid uh, fines and fees. When those get sent to collections in Miami-Dade, it tax on an additional 40%. So you have mounting debt, you have additional problems with this driver's license suspension. And, you know, as a result, they developed a program in Miami-Dade to try and help people get tickets out of collections and um, get their driver's license restored. But they charge a $175 fee for entering that program.
0: Yikes. Uh, (laughs) Well, that doesn't seem like a good long-term solution. So
1: tell us, is this a new problem It's not a new problem, but it's definitely getting worse. Um, Let's go back to that California traffic ticket. In 2006, that $100 traffic ticket would have added fines that were about $300, came to about $390. By 2011, you're much closer to that $490. And what happened in between there is the economic downturn. In 2008, when the kind of economy crashed, states like everybody else were hurting and they were looking for revenue generation. So we saw a massive increase in the use of fines and fees. And that increase has continued even after the economies recovered uh, to the point where we now have a largely user-pays criminal justice system.
0: So the ABA responded to this growing issue by forming this working group. Can you tell us more about what led to the
1: formation of the working group? Sure. So the working group on building public trust in the American justice system was actually formed in the aftermath of Michael Brown shooting um, and uh, was really about building restoring public trust in the justice system. How that relates to fines and fees is, you know, when the DOJ went in to look at Ferguson, they didn't just look at the police department. A lot of what they found were extraordinary fines and fees, an an enormous amount of criminal justice debt. Almost everybody in Ferguson, an enormous percentage of the population had outstanding warrants for unpaid fines and fees. And so the connection to Ferguson is really a connection to the whole fines and fees issue.
0: So as the working group continued their investigation, it appears that they wanted to work toward developing guidelines to help address this issue that they uncovered, right? Can you tell us more about that?
1: Sure. The impetus for that, as I said, you know, the fines and fees issues was very tied to this issue of distrust. And then ABA President Hillary Bass really kind of said, let's look at this issue of fines and fees. Um, The working group spent a year doing a deep dive into the issue and then developed what was adopted by the House of Delegates as the ABA 10 Guidelines on Court Fines and Fees.
0: Can you give us an example of some of those guidelines?
1: The biggest thing that the guidelines do is to say that there should be limits on fines and fees, particularly based on ability to pay. That someone, at the time at which a fine and fee is imposed, that you should look immediately at that moment at someone's ability to pay. And that judges should have the power to reduce or waive, as appropriate, particularly fees. And that fines should be proportionate both to the crime involved and the person involved.
0: And if these guidelines are applied in the criminal justice system, then what would the impact be?
1: The impact would be that there would be less disparity in the system for a wealthy person or a poor person. So, you know, a finer fee of a particular amount that might be paid with no effort by a wealthy person, you know, has the potential to bankrupt or, as I said before, you know, entrap someone who really has no ability to pay. Taking that ability to pay into account is really fundamental to a having a just system and that's what the guidelines are trying to achieve
0: so in this term of the supreme court they decided a case tims versus indiana concerning the excessive fines and fees clause what is the likely impact of that case
1: the Tim's case is fundamentally was about whether the excessive fines and fees clause is going to be incorporated to apply against the states and the court held unanimously that it is. It didn't decide whether the fine at issue, the forfeiture at issue in that case, which involved the forfeiture of a $42,000 car to satisfy what would have been a maximum $10,000 fine, um, was excessive. That issue's now gone back to the Indiana Supreme Court. Um, But it does set up a new federal oversight role in this fines and fees Arena um, that opens the door to asking questions about whether fines and fees are excessive as a constitutional question. You know, the touchstone for the court's inquiry on this fines and fees clause is whether something is proportional. And I think it's a legitimate question to ask the question is almost charging almost $400 of fees on a $100 fine proportional? to whatever that driving offense was in California. And those are going to be questions that get raised as a result of TIMS.
0: So then what are we seeing in terms of reforms when it comes to fees and fines?
1: This term in state legislatures, there were a number of efforts to reform fines and fees, some of which have been successful. In particular, there's been a lot of traction on the issue of driver's license suspensions. The ABA on the basis of the guidelines on court fines and fees, was able to write letters in support of such reforms in Illinois and Oregon and Montana. And the Montana reform has actually passed. So I think there is good traction toward reform. At the same time, a number of states are putting in place new fines and fees. Two steps forward, one step back. Is that how the saying goes?
0: (laughs) All right. So the working group was able to get these guidelines approved by the American Bar Association House of Delegates in August of 2018. So what is next for the working group?
1: So the working group is actually now looking at a related issue on privatization. A lot of these fees are not actually paid to the court. They're paid to private companies and looking at whether that's kind of in increased the amount of money that people are being charged. So whether that's about diversion programs and private diversion programs, there are private supervision programs. More often than not, if you're paying a fee for GPS or drug testing, you're not paying it to the court, you're paying it to a private company. And as a result, is that mean people are being charged more? And does it mean that poor people don't have an opportunity to say, well, I still need this service, but I can't pay. So that's the issue that the working group is now looking at, not immediately with an eye toward policy, but with an eye toward understanding what the landscape is, and trying to produce a report that the ABA can have on privatization.
0: Well, that's great. So going back to fines and fees, where can people find the 10 guidelines that were put forward by this working group? And then also, where can they find additional
1: resources on fees and fines? So the ABA 10 guidelines on court fines and fees are available at ABA Sclade's website under public defense and standards and policies. They're also available on where I would send you for additional resources. There's something called the Fines and Fees Justice Center, which has a clearinghouse on basically all things related to criminal justice fines and fees. to of the the two co-founders of the Fines and Fees Justice Center served as consultants to the working group in the development of the guidelines. And their website is finesandfeesjusticecenter.org. So very easy.
0: That is easy enough to find. So that's great. Well, thank you very much for sharing your insight and your work on fines and fees. And thank you to our listeners for joining us on this episode of The Just Pod.